The Wolf and the Lamb A wolf met a lamb and said to her, I am hungry, I am going to eat you up. My dear wolf, said the lamb, I understand that perfectly well. That's the way things go. I shall not complain. You are a good girl, said the wolf, and opened his mouth, showing all his sharp teeth. Hmm. One moment, sir, said the lamb. As you know, I am entitled to have one last wish. That is so, my dear, said the wolf. And what shall that be? If you would be so kind, I'd like you to play me some music, said the lamb. I adore music. The wolf pulled a flute from his pocket and began playing the most beautiful music he could, inspired by the thought of the delectable meal he was about to enjoy. You are an artist, whispered the lamb. Do keep on playing. Soon the shepherd heard unfamiliar music among his lambs and went and looked to see what the matter was. When he saw the murderous wolf, the shepherd took a big stick and hit the wolf over the head. Ouch! yelped the wood and the wolf and he ran into the woods. The end. I guess the lamb was a little tricky lamb. She showed the wolf. The Rabbit and the Turtle A rabbit and a turtle were looking for something to do to while away the afternoon. How about a race? suggested the rabbit, who was a very fast runner. Couldn't we do something else? asked the turtle, who was not. You are just afraid that you are going to lose, said the rabbit. I am not, declared the turtle. So it was decided to have a race. They asked Mr. Fox to be the judge, and off they went. The rabbit, with his long legs, sped down the path so fast he seemed to be flying. But the turtle, with his short legs and his heavy shell, had a hard time moving at all. Soon the rabbit was so far ahead, he decided to sit down for a little rest. After a long, long time, the turtle slowly passed by the rabbit. "'What's the matter? You giving up?' asked the turtle. "'Don't worry,' said the rabbit, and waved. "'Just go on. I'll soon catch up with you.' The turtle waved back and plodded on, huffing and puffing. It was a beautiful afternoon. The sun was warm, the birds sang in the meadows, butterflies and ladybugs flew through the air, a gentle wind bent the grass and the flowers. Soon the rabbit sank into a deep sleep. When he woke up, the moon and the stars shone in the night sky. <sighs> well, said the rabbit, I must catch up with Slowpoke Turtle. He brushed himself off and ran after the turtle. But when the rabbit came around the last bend of the road, he saw the fox pinning a winner's medal on the turtle's chest. Hmm. Slow and steady has won many races, said Mr. Fox. The end. The Cat and the Mouse A young mouse, sick and tired of being chased by the cat, had an idea. The mouse called in the whole family and proclaimed, We mice must protect ourselves from the cat once and for all. 
Yes, yes, cried all the mice. We must be able to run around freely any time and anywhere we wish to do. Right, right, shrieked the other mice. I know how to outwit the cat, went on the proud young mouse. How, asked the others. With this bell, said the young mouse, pointing to a shiny new bell. When the cat is asleep, we shall fasten the bell around his neck. When he moves, the bell will ring. That way we can hear the cat before the cat sneaks up on us. Bravo! Bravo! cried the mice. The young mouse bowed and smiled. Long live our genius! shouted the mice. The young mouse took another bow. Hmm. Question, said a weak voice from the back of the room. Who will put the bell around the cat's neck? Hmm? All was quiet. All the mice turned around to look at their grandmother, who had asked the question. She was an old mouse, wrinkled and stooped. Why, a volunteer, of course, answered the young mouse. And who will volunteer? asked the grandmother. Hmm. Again silence. Everybody looked at everybody else. No one volunteered. And that, my friends, is why cats still catch mice to this very day. The end. Beauty and the Beast by Ursula Jones and illustrated by Sarah Gibb. So this is a classic tale of magic, mystery, and love. And it is retold by Ursula Jones. Once there was a rich merchant who had three daughters. The two eldest were very pretty, but the youngest daughter was beautiful, so everyone called her beauty. That made her sisters horribly jealous. All the young men in the city wanted to marry beauty's sisters, but the sisters were picky about husbands. One sister was waiting for a duke, and the other wouldn't leave the house for less than a prince. Several suitors asked Beauty to marry them, but she preferred to stay at home with her father, reading her books and playing the piano. Then came a bad day. The merchant lost his fortune. Does that mean we're poor now? Beauty asked her father, and all the suitors backed out of the room so fast they jammed in the doorway. Was it something I said? Beauty asked. Stupid, stupid, her sister snapped at her. They don't want to marry a poor bride. Now none of us will get a husband. And Beauty was sorry to hear that. Their father explained that their house was sold, but he still had a little place in the country where they could live. And away they drove out of the city. They traveled for miles and miles. The two older sisters were horrified by the countryside. It was full of plants and not a close shop in sight. Eventually, their father pulled up in front of a ramshackle little building. Why have we stopped at this ruin? they asked. This is it, he said. This is our new home. And the two sisters had hysterics. We'll soon learn to look after ourselves and be farmers, their father comforted them.
but he was wrong. It took Beauty and her father two whole years to learn how to farm. The sisters wouldn't even try. They stayed in bed till ten every morning, then put on their best rags and trudged off for their daily walk. You never know, they would say. We may find a suitor hidden in one of these ghastly trees. But they never did. Then came good news. A ship the merchant thought was lost at sea had come into harbour. He set out for the city at once. We shall be rich again, the sisters said gleefully. And they gave him a list of presents to bring back. Fur coats, diamond tiaras, and dresses galore. And what shall I buy for you, Beauty? her father asked, mounting his horse. Beauty felt sorry for the horse. He'd hardly be able to carry a thing more once he was loaded down with her sister's orders. Bring me a rose, father, she said, and she waved him goodbye. Oh boy, then came bad news. All the money from the ship's cargo was used to pay off the merchant's debts, and he rode home poorer than ever. It began to snow, so he took a shortcut through the forest, but an icy wind blew the snow into a violent blizzard, and he lost his way. He knew he would soon die of cold, and then what would become of his daughters? Suddenly he saw a light through the trees. He staggered toward it and found an avenue that led him to a deserted courtyard. His horse trotted into a stable and set to work on some hay. A blast of wind swept the falling snow aside and the merchant saw a vast mansion ahead with candlelight twinkling in each window. He stumbled through the snow to the front door and knocked. It swung open and he entered a dining hall with a log fire and a table laid out with supper for one. Steam rose from his soaked coat as he warmed himself in the fire and waited for the owner of the house to arrive. But no one came. He was starving. By eleven o'clock he gave in and ate the supper himself. Then he found a bedroom and fell fast asleep. The next morning the merchant looked down from his bedroom window onto a garden of flowers. The deep snow had disappeared. The place is a bit strange, he murmured. Time to leave. But his clothes were missing, which was awkward. He had no choice but to put on a new suit that was laid out on a chair. It fit perfectly. Downstairs there was a cup of hot chocolate on the table. His favorite breakfast. So he drank it. My thanks to the good fairy that owns this house, he called, and he set off through the gardens to find his horse. As he passed under an archway of roses, he remembered Beauty's request and picked one for her. At once, an ear-crunching noise blared. It frightened the wits out of him, and there, barring his way, was the most terrifying, foulest creature he had ever seen. Even more terrifying, it could talk. Ungrateful man, he growled, after all I've given you, you steal my roses. 
die. The merchant fell over in terror, pleading for his life. I, I meant no harm, my lord, he babbled. The name's Beast, it snarled. I picked it for my daughter, Beast, sir. Please, please don't kill me. All right, I won't, growled the Beast. I'll kill your daughter instead. Bring her to me. Get on your horse and fetch her. There's a chest of gold to go with you. Bring your daughter here in three months or die yourself. The merchant promised to do as the beast asked, though he really had no intention of letting Beauty die such a terrible death. He meant to go and say goodbye to his girls, give them the gold, then come back himself to die. As soon as the merchant reached home and told his story, the two older sisters began to cry. They turned on Beauty. Now look what you've done, stupid they said. We're going to be orphans. Why did you have to ask for a rose? As if there aren't enough plants cluttering up the countryside as it is. Beauty was sorry and said she would go and be eaten by the beast. How could I live, she asked her father, if I knew you had died for me? Her father wouldn't hear of her going, but Beauty insisted. If you try to go alone, father, I will run after you and catch up. And so, when the three months had passed, Beauty and her father set out for the beast's mansion. Good riddance, her sister said privately. With Beauty devoured by the beast, there will be more of that chest of gold for us. And gold brings in suitors. And suitors means wedding bells. But they rubbed their eyes with onion to make it look as if they were crying bitterly to see Beauty ride to her death. Oh. The beast's mansion was the same as before. The stable for the horse, the fire burning in the hall, but this time the supper on the table was for two. But they couldn't eat. The merchant was too unhappy and Beauty was too scared. The clock struck nine. Instantly, the awful, ear-crunching noise blared. He's coming, whispered Beauty's father. Farewell, daughter. Then the beast appeared. He was more terrifying than Beauty had ever imagined. He gave a disgusting snort when he saw her and growled. Has she come of her own accord? But Beauty replied, Yes, I have. So calmly, no one would have guessed how frightened she was. Thank you, said the beast. Now eat up and go to bed. And you, he growled at the father, you clear off first thing in the morning. For good. The next morning, Beauty said goodbye to her father, and he rode away sobbing. Beauty sat and cried too, and waited to die. But the beast didn't come and devour her, so she stopped crying and decided to fill in the time till he did by exploring his mansion. It was a beautiful but lonely place. Still, the beast didn't come. She found a door labeled Beauty's Room and in she went. The room was filled with books. There was a piano too, and a gold bowl of chocolates that never emptied no matter how many she ate. There were paints and paper and pencils and rulers and the chemistry set. 
whoever had gotten the room ready didn't mean Beauty to be bored. She opened a book and read, Your wish is our command. You are queen and mistress here. Then I wish I could see my father, Beauty sighed. At once the words, the mirror, the mirror, formed on the page. Beauty looked into the mirror on the wall and saw her father arriving home. He was in tears. Her sisters were not. That evening, Beauty was about to start her supper when the clock struck nine and she heard the ear-crunching noise. The beast was coming. This is it, she thought. Now I shall be his supper. The beast appeared. Beauty waited to die, but all he said was, May I watch you dine? You're the master. No, you're the mistress, Beauty. I'll go if you want. I'd like you to stay, she said politely, crossing her fingers behind her back. Then he asked, Do you think I'm ugly? Yes, I do, very. She didn't want to make him angry, so she added truthfully, But I think you're good, the beast said. I'm stupid, though. I am too, said Beauty. My sisters are always telling me I am. That makes two of us, so cheer up. All right, said the beast. I'm still a monster, though. There are monsters and monsters, said Beauty. What does that mean? It means that some monsters look awful, but inside they are really very kind. And some people look very kind, but inside they are really monsters. Hmm, I'm a bit too stupid to follow that. Hmm, I'm not sure I follow it myself now, laughed Beauty. The beast made a noise she hoped was a laugh too. A glugging sound, like water running down a plug hole. After the last glug, he said, Beauty, will you be my wife? Beauty nearly choked on a roast potato with shock. She was terrified of enraging him, but she said, No, beast, I won't. The beast sighed a whistling, sad sigh and vanished. This went on for three months. Beauty got used to her peculiar life. There was always so much to do, and each day, each day there was a new and ever more stunning dress to wear. She began to look forward to the beast's visits at nine o'clock, but he always spoiled their talk with the same question. Beauty, will you be my wife? I'll always be your friend, Beauty would reply. Isn't that enough? And the beast would give his whistling sigh and vanish. One day, Beauty looked in her magic mirror and saw her father. He was alone, and he was weeping because he thought she was dead. That night, she asked the beast if she could visit him. I'll die of grief if I don't go, she told him. The beast said, I love you too much to refuse you anything, but I know you'll stay with your father once you get there, and then I'll be the one who dies of grief. But Beauty promised faithfully to be back in a week's time, and the beast said he trusted her to keep her word. Place your ring on the table next to your bed tonight, he growled, and you'll wake up at home. So she did, 
and when she woke the next morning she was in her own bed which was a bit lumpy she noticed compared with her bed at the mansion then a servant came running her sisters came running their new husbands came running and her father came running he was so pleased to see her he could not stop hugging her and look at all these gorgeous clothes she's brought with her the sisters marveled unpacking a trunk that had arrived with beauty they began trying the things on but boom in a split second the pretty clothes turned into silly knickers and the sisters had to cover up themselves in beauty sheets the sisters were furious that they had been made to look ridiculous in front of their new husbands even though the husbands were as boring as dishwater one who was too clever by half and the other too handsome to be true the sisters stomped down the garden to plot and plan we'll make her break her promise to return in a week then the beast will eat her said one we'll beg her to stay when the week is up we'll pretend we love her to bits said the other that will be the hardest part her sister replied at the end of the week that's exactly what they did they tore their hair and wailed tears ran down their cheeks and beauty was so happy to see that at long last her sisters really and truly liked her she didn't mention how strongly they smelled of onion and agreed to stay on i'm sure the beast won't mind just one more week she said but at the end of that week the same thing happened and at the end of the following week too then one night beauty dreamed she saw the beast lying in his garden by the fountain he was dying she woke in a panic as she lay in the dark she remembered the beast saying that he would die of grief without her she wondered how she could treat him so cruelly when he had been nothing but kind to her she put her ring on the table next to her as she had done before in the morning she woke up in the beast's mansion Beauty could hardly wait till supper time to see him. At last the clock struck nine, but there was no ear-crunching noise, and no beast. Where was he? She hurried about the mansion, searching for him. Then she remembered her dream. He'd been lying in the garden. She ran across the lawns to the fountain, and there lay the beast, as still as death. She threw a cupped handful of water over him, and he opened his eyes. You forgot your promise, he said in a weak voice, so I starved myself to death. Now I've seen you once more. I shall die in peace. And his eyes closed. But you mustn't die, cried Beauty, throwing her arms around him. Not when I love you so much. Please don't die, my darling beast. I will marry you. I will be your wife. With that, a thousand fireworks exploded over the gardens, and there, standing beside Beauty, was a handsome prince with a rather wet face. Where is my beast? she asked him. I am him, said the prince. An enchanter put a spell on me. It made me ugly and stupid. You broke the spell when you said you'd be my wife. Beauty stared at him in amazement, and the prince looked worried. I hope you still want to marry me, Beauty, now that I'm not a beast. 
Beauty smiled at him. I'll get used to you. There's no one in the wide world for me but you, Prince Beast. And you guessed it. They lived happily ever after. The end. The Tortoise and the Hare. So this is a retelling by Roberto Piumini. So let's see what happens in this story and how it's a little different maybe from the others that we've heard. The Tortoise and the Hare. Once upon a time, there was a hare that was always boasting, who is the fastest creature in the world? Me, he would say. Which creature can beat anyone else in a race? <gasps> Me, he would say. The other animals were fed up with his arrogance. What does arrogance mean? The other animals were fed up with his arrogance. They did not want to spend time with him or his attitude, so they always ran off as soon as he started boasting. One day, just when a quiet tortoise was passing by, the hare, that's H-A-R-E hare, began his usual speech. The tortoise did not, or could not, hurry away very quickly, so the hare called to him, Hey, Slowpoke! Everyone knows that I am the fastest in the world, but you are definitely the slowest. Hmm. The tortoise stopped, looked at him, thought for a moment, and said, Let's have a race, and we shall see if what you say is true. The hare burst out laughing. <laughs> he hopped about the meadow shouting, Did you hear that? Did you hear that? Did you hear that? This slowpoke is challenging me to a race. He's challenging me. Can you believe that? He is challenging me. If my ears weren't so long and good, I would think I hadn't heard right. The animals in the forest heard the hare screeching and laughing, so they came over to see what was happening. In the meantime, the tortoise had reached a log on the bank of the lake. As soon as the hare had stopped laughing, the tortoise said, Hare, hare, this will be our start and also our finish. We'll go around the lake once. The first to touch this log is the winner. The old grey mouse cleared his throat. <coughs> I'll be the referee, he said. Okay, we'll have this race, cried the hare, laughing and snorting. I'll reach the finish line before you even set off. Never you mind, said the tortoise. Let's just race. They lined up by the log. Ready, said the mouse. Set, go! Bum, bum, bum. The hare bolted off on his long legs while the tortoise inched forward. The hare was running even faster than normal while the tortoise made no special effort. He just continued on his way, slow and steady. When he was halfway around the lake, the hare felt a bit out of breath. Whew! He turned back to have a look at his competitor. The tortoise was only a few steps away from the starting line. Hmm, I'm a long way ahead, thought the hare. 
when I reach the finish line, I don't want to be panting as if winning was hard work. I'll just lie down and rest for a while. Then in two hops, I'll reach the finish all nice and fresh. He lay down on the grass and closed his eyes under the warm sun, feeling a nice gentle breeze. He fell asleep right away. After quite a long while, the tortoise came to the spot where the hare was snoring in the grass. He glanced at the boastful creature. Then, without making a sound, the tortoise continued on his journey, slow and steady. An hour later, when the sun was nearly setting, the cool air woke the hare. He suddenly opened his eyes and sat up. Oh, I must have overslept, he said, looking behind him. There was no one there. He looked ahead. No one there either. The hare sprinted off. He ran quickly, leaping lightly through the grass. Finally, he spotted the shell of the tortoise tottering along, and just beyond the tortoise was the dark log. The hare sped up now. His heart raced, for he was worried that a mere tortoise would beat him. He dashed through the grass, nearly flying through the air. But the hare didn't make it. He still had a few feet to go when the tortoise very slowly placed his head on the log. The grey mouse cried out, The tortoise has won! The tortoise has won! The tortoise glowed with happiness. He was pleased to find that slow and steady had won the race. And the hare? He could only hang his head in shame. There was a great party in honor of the winner. All of the animals came to celebrate. The only one missing was the hare, who refused to show his face in the woods. He was so ashamed. In fact, he hid in a hole in the ground for the next three months. So, I have a couple of questions for you. Something to think about. The first one is, the other animals did not want to be friends with the hare. Would you want to be friends with him? Why would you want to be friends with him? Or why wouldn't you want to be friends with him? Do you think he was too boastful? Some would say he showed off too much. What would it be like to be friends with someone like that? What do you think? Another question to think about is, why do you think the tortoise challenged the hare to the race? Hmm, that's a good one. Why do you think the tortoise challenged the hare to the race? Do you think he knew that because he was so boastful he would get lazy and lose and so the tortoise would win? Do you think the tortoise was just a wise old animal? I wonder. And so, what do you think is the moral of the story? What is the moral or the lesson of the story? Let me know what you think. In the meantime, 
let's learn some fun facts about tortoises and hares. So it seems that they, tortoises and the hares, couldn't be more different. Of course, you know, a tortoise has a hard shell, while a hare is covered with soft fur. On land, tortoises must move slowly and deliberately. Why do you think? Because of their shell. Hares, on the other hand, can hop such great lengths that they look like they are flying. But both animals have some interesting habits, so let's find out. Did you know that tortoises can live more than a hundred years? One Indian Ocean giant tortoise was estimated to be about 50 years old when it was captured, and it went on to live another 152 years. Wow! There are about 40 different types of tortoises, and then some species of tortoises grow to be nearly 5 feet long. Wow, that's really long. Their huge shells have been used as bathtubs. Well, imagine so if they're, they can grow to be 5 feet long. The Galapagos tortoises eat anything that is red, so the zookeepers often put their medicine inside tomatoes. Pirates, whale hunters, and merchant sailors used to stop on the Galapagos Islands to restock food and water supplies. They added Galapagos tortoises to their diet because the huge animals could go a year without eating or drinking. The sailors could keep the tortoises on board without having to care for them. That's kind of sad. If in danger, hares can run up to 45 miles per hour. They run in a zigzag pattern to escape their enemy. Now here's a little E. This one's not so fun. Hares eat their droppings so their food goes through their digestive systems twice. Ew! Did you get that? Hares eat their droppings so their food goes through their digestive system twice. Now the Arctic hares, they change color in order to better hide in their surroundings. In the summer they are brown, and in the winter, guess what color they are? If you guessed white, you'd be correct. Alright, here's a fun fact. For a good boxing match, hang around hares during mating season. Males box against each other to decide who is stronger. Females box with males to show that they are not ready to mate, or to see how determined the male is to win her. And those were some interesting facts about hares and tortoises. So here's to the story as retold by Roberto Piumini. This is the story of Abby Yo-Yo. It's based on a South African lullaby and folk story, and it's written by Pete Seeger. Once upon a time, there was a little boy who played the ukulele. Around town, he'd go clink, clunk, clunk, clink, clink, clunk. The grown-ups would say, take that thing out of here. Not only that, the boy's father got in trouble too. The boy's father was a magician. He had a magic wand. He'd go zoop, zoop, and make things disappear. But he played too many tricks on people. He'd come up to someone about to drink a nice cold glass of something, zoop. 
the glass disappears. Someone doing a hard job of work. Sit, sit. Up comes the father with his magic wand. Soup. No saw. He'd come up to someone about to sit down after a hard day's work and soup. No chair. People said to the father, You get out of here too. Take your magic wand and your tricks, and you and your son just get. Just go. The boy and his father were ostracized. Do you know what that means? The boy and his father were ostracized. That means they made them live on the edge of town. Now, in this town, they used to tell stories. The old people used to tell stories about the giants that lived in the old days. They used to tell about a giant called Abiyoyo. They said he was as tall as a tree and could eat people up. Of course, nobody believed the story, but they told it anyway. One day, one day the sun arose, blood red over the hill. The first people got up and looked out the window. They saw a great big shadow in front of the sun. They could feel the whole ground shake. Women screamed and strong men fainted. Run for your lives! Abby Yo-Yo's coming! He comes to the sheep pasture. He grabs a whole sheep. Yoop. He comes to the cow pasture. He grabs a whole cow. Yoop. Men yelled. Grab your most precious possessions and run! Run, everyone! Run! Just then, the boy and his father woke up. Hey, Pa, what's coming over the fields? Why, son, that's Abby Yo-Yo. Oh, if only I could get him to lie down, I could make him disappear. The boy says, Come with me, Pa. He grabbed his father by one hand. The father gets the magic wand, and the boy gets his ukulele. They run across the fields. Peepy yelled, Don't go near him. He'll eat you alive. Don't, don't. He'll eat you. But there was Abby Yo-Yo. He had long fingernails, because he never cut them. He had slobbery teeth, because he didn't brush them. He had stinking feet because he didn't wash them. Matted hair because he didn't comb it. He raised up his claws, but just then the boy whips out his ukulele and starts Abby yo yo, Abby Abby yo yo, Abby yo yo, Abby Abby yo. Well, you know, the giant had never heard a song about himself before. A foolish grin spread over his face, and the giant started to dance. Abby-yo-yo, Abby-abby-yo, Abby-yo-yo, Abby-abby-yo, Abby-yo-yo, Abby-abby-yo, Abby-yo-yo, Abby-abby-yo. And the boy went faster. He could play that ukulele. Can you join us? Let's go. Oh, the giant got out of breath. He staggered. He fell down flat on the ground. 
Up steps the father, and you guessed it, soup. What do you think happened? <gasps> soup. <gasps> People looked out their windows. He's gone. Abby Yo-Yo's disappeared. The people ran across the fields. They lifted the boy and his father up on their shoulders. They say, come back to town. Bring your ukulele with you. We don't care anymore. And they all sang. Abby yo-yo, Abby Abby yo-yo. Abby yo-yo, Abby Abby yo-yo. Abby yo-yo, Abby Abby yo-yo. Abby yo-yo, Abby Abby yo. The end.